So my wife and I have owned our home for about seven years, and we have done a number of different projects as we have been trying to kind of make this place our own home. And we've picked up a lot of new skills, learned a lot of things in home ownership, and one of those places is woodworking. So in woodworking, one of the things that I've learned from mistakes and from successes is that if you want a smooth, clean cut, you have to cut with the grain of the wood. If you cut against the grain, it chips the wood and that makes the wood bad. But if you want a good clean cut, you cut with the grain of the wood. But there are exceptions. There are times where it's okay for you to cut against the grain, and there are certain methods to do that, things like the rip cut. And as we've been in the Sermon of the Mount, we're in the heart, the very middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, One of the things you've seen Jesus do from the very outset is he is addressing how the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of Jesus cuts against the grain of the kingdom of heaven. You see this from the very outset with things like the Beatitudes. So Jesus says statements like this, Blessed are the meek, or the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Now that's not the way of the kingdom of the earth. You hear things like survival of the fittest or only the strong will survive, but that's not the way of God's kingdom. It's the meek who inherit the earth. You also see Jesus unpack some ethical teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. So he has this back and forth between the way that God's people have usually functioned under God's commands, but Jesus is bringing a deeper interpretation. So he says things like this, You have heard that it was said, and then he hits topics like murder, adultery, divorce, oaths and then he follows it up with but i tell you and he brings about his deeper interpretation then at the very beginning of matthew chapter 6 the passage we're going to be in this morning jesus dives into the spiritual practices of god's people and so he he says things like when you give when you pray when you fast and then he follows it up by truly i tell you and he gives them a different reason or a different way of how he they are to practice these things than the way that the righteous pharisees have done before god's people so jesus throughout the course of the sermon on the mount is teaching how the kingdom of heaven is contrary or cuts against the kingdom of the earth and this morning we're tackling another topic where i think you see that similar thing The kingdom of heaven cuts against the grain, the normal, ordinary means of life here on earth. The kingdom of the earth cuts against the grain, and he's shown us a better and deeper way. And the the topic we're going to be wrestling with this morning is money or our possessions. And so this isn't the only place that Jesus talks about money or possessions throughout the course of his ministry. He actually does it quite a bit. So he talks about money more than he does about sex more than he does about heaven, and more than he does about hell. So money is a big deal to Jesus. And it's not because he has a love for money, but it's because he recognizes the dangers of it. One Christian author puts it like this, It is arguable that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today, including million in the visible church, literally you and me. So Jesus has some pretty standout statements in our passage today about money. He says things like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says things like, you cannot serve both God and money. They're conflicting. They can't go hand in hand. So here's the thing. If money really is as dangerous as Jesus talks about it throughout the course of his ministry, 
then one of the most loving things that Jesus could do would be talking to us about how we are to relate to money. And I think the passage that we are looking at this morning gives us an understanding of how we are to relate to money. I think you see that in the first five verses of our passage this morning. We're going to be Matthew 6, 9, 6, 19 through 24. He's going to be showing us two paths, two ways that we can relate to money. How we orient our life to either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth and the effects that it has on us as God's people. And then the latter half of this passage, the second segment that I want us to wrestle with, Jesus makes three repeated statements of do not worry. This is 25 through 34. And what I want us to picture here is that I think Jesus is showing us his patience with us. How deep his grace is in our matter of dealing and orienting towards the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of the earth. So I want to work through these two segments, these two breakdowns of this passage. We'll hit on some very short application and then do some closing. So here's the passage. I want to read the first five verses and then we'll dive right in. Verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole, darkness, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's what I think Jesus is doing. So he's touching on this idea of treasure, and I think he's continuing this theme of reward that he's touched on previously in this chapter. So Matthew 6 starts off like this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So what's interesting here and what you see in this passage, what I think you see in the way that he's addressed this idea of reward and giving and prayer and fasting is that he's not taking or removing away the desire for reward, but rather he's redirecting it. And I think you see this theme pick back up as he's addressing this idea of money and possessions. And I think instead of removing a desire for reward, he's redirecting our desire for reward specifically the treasures of earth or the treasures of heaven. So there's two ways that I think Jesus really tries to put before us of how we relate with money. And the first one you see in verse 19 goes like this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So I, I think Jesus is assuming that this is actually the way that we normally work or function here on earth. That we do store up treasures on earth. We do stockpile things. And so the first way that I think Jesus is laying before us of how we can relate with money is that we can value it and we can stockpile it. And here's the honest answer about this is that you can find some sense of security and you can find some sense of pleasure in things of treasures on earth, possessions, money. It's possible. And I don't think we need to minimize this. So you take two things into consideration here. Status. Oftentimes, status is associated with money. 
I mean, you can see it whenever somebody with money walks into a room. People recognize them, right? Whether that's been you or not, like you, you see it. You feel it. So you may drive your whole life after this idea of status because you like the idea of people gravitating towards you when you walk into a room. New things bring pleasure, don't they? They do. So my wife and I, we had our third little child last summer, and we literally outgrew our largest vehicle. So we went out and bought a minivan, right? So I'm not a big minivan guy, but we got a new minivan. And I, I wanted to drive this bad boy wherever I could, right? All right, because here's where I was coming from. I was coming from this black Honda Accord that the transmission was going out, the AC was out, and it's in the middle of July. So I'm literally on the highway. If it stops, I have to pull off to the side of the highway, restart the whole acceleration process for the car to get into the gear that I need to to drive on the highway while smoking hot on leather seats in this black car that's sun damaged and it looks awful. So I'm thinking, we got this new minivan, new to us. It has AC. It has a transmission that works. Like, it's a smooth ride. Like, this bad boy is legit, right? Like, I'm enjoying this thing. I'm finding pleasure in it. We experience that anytime we get something new. There's always some sense of joy that comes along, these new gadgets, these new things that we accumulate in life. But Jesus gives us a warning here. He says there's a downside to all these treasures on earth, and it's that they're susceptible to loss. He gives us three pictures. He gives us the moth, he gives us the rust, and he gives us the thief. And there's a Christian scholar that has a helpful interpretation of these. So he, he, he relates moth to nature. We live in a broken world. Literally everything around us is going to go through some form of destruction before the end of this life. Your things can't last. Nature literally is working against them. Then you have rust. He translates that as time. Man, any new thing that you get, the newness of it wears off, doesn't it? It doesn't stick around. It wears off. It becomes old. It becomes dingy. It becomes dinged up. It doesn't last. It becomes becomes corroded. And then lastly, you have thief or you have humanity. Even if you have the new thing, there's always going to be something next, isn't there? Something bigger, something better. And whenever somebody else gets that thing, it steals your joy. So what Jesus is saying is that you can put your treasures here on earth, and you can go for that, you can aim for that in this life, but it's all going to be temporary. It's a matter of if, not, it's not a matter of if, but when you're going to lose the joy that the treasures of heaven happen here on earth. So the first way you can relate is that you can store up treasures here on earth, but it's going to be lost. It's all susceptible to loss. But he gives us a second option, and you see that in verse 20, and it says this, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves don't break in and steal. I think Jesus is saying the second option here is, is that you recognize the pitfalls of the treasures of earth, And you store a different type of treasure in a secure place. A place where nature can't destroy and time can't corrode and people can't steal your joy. So the question that you have to ask here though is because we are humanity, literally all we know here is this this earth. 
The normal function is money and possessions and what we're, what we're going for, what we're aiming our life after. So what in the world is this treasure on heaven? What is Jesus talking about? I, I think you can go to a parable that he gives in a different gospel, Luke chapter 12. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And I actually think it's basically a whole parable that's based off of this very teaching that Jesus has given us in the first three verses 19 through 21 of our passage this morning. Luke 12, 15 says this. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Literally, verse 19, storing up of treasures on earth. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I, ha I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat. Drink. Enjoy yourself. I think God's response is this. You fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Literally, you can't take them with you. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The treasure Jesus is talking about in our passage, this treasure in heaven that's not susceptible to loss, is in those last few words. Rich towards God. In the context of this passage, it doesn't mean that giving God, it's giving God lots of money. He doesn't need your money. The Bible tells us that God owns everything. We're just stewards of His things here on earth. One pastor interprets that rich toward God like this, which I think is incredibly helpful. Being rich toward God doesn't mean to enrich God or give Him things. It means you count God as your riches. Here's the fact. God is just better than money. He is. He's the prize that never is taken away. Our God is everlasting. The treasures of this earth are susceptible to loss, but that is not who our God is. No one can snatch us out of His grasp. He's forever. And so storing up treasures for yourself in heaven means living in such a way as to maximize God as your treasure in this life and the next. He's the one that you value which I think is exactly what he's getting at in verse 21. What you value most in your life is what you live for. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We think heart is equal to emotions, but the Bible has a bigger concept for the heart than that. In the Bible, the heart is the very core of a person. It's the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's literally the driving force for everything a person does in their life. Where the heart is, you orient your whole life towards it. So if, you're, if your heart is found with the treasures of earth, then your heart resides with this earth and is oriented towards its priorities. But if your heart resides with treasures in heaven, your heart resides with our living God. And you orient your whole life according to His priorities, His purposes, His will. Which I think is what He's getting at 
with this, what seems to be a very out-of-context illustration of the eye in verses 22 through 23. It says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So like, what in the world is Jesus talking about here, right? So he's talked about money. He goes to this illustration of the eye, and then we know he goes next to this relationship with God and money again. So how does this fit? Like, where does it, what is Jesus going with? Well, I think we understand this if you really just think on it a little bit. So a lamp gives light in the darkness, right? I mean, duh. Like, we're not, we're not dumb here, right? So you light up a lamp, and the reason you light up a lamp is because you want clarity in the darkness. And if you're in the dark and you're going down a path, you carry the lamp so you can see where you're headed. Well, Jesus is saying the eyes are the headlights of the body. He literally equates, if you have a healthy eye, then your body is full of light. And if you look throughout the Bible, light is always associated with life with God. Eternal life. If you have a healthy eye, it's directing you, it's leading you towards eternal life. But if you have a bad eye, then you are headed towards darkness. The Bible literally translates that as death, eternal death. And what's interesting, the way that we see how an a life can be oriented towards the treasures of heaven or oriented towards the treasures of earth is the way that Jesus translates the idea of health and bad. The, the words that he picks here have numerous meanings. And it's all fitting with the way that he's trying to communicate the overall message of this passage. So the idea of health here can actually be translated also as single and generous. Literally meaning that you are fixated on a single purpose or a single person in the order in which you live this life. And that whole thing has changed you to where you are now oriented not towards self, but towards other people. The idea of generosity. That's the idea of health that Jesus has here. If, you, if your heart resides with the treasures of heaven, you have the healthy eye. Your light, your body is full of light. You have eternal life. God's literally come and made His home inside of you. You have a single focus. You are fixated on who your God is and the purposes and priorities that He has in this life. And He's changed you to where you're not thinking on yourself, but now you actually have a bent towards other people. But if you have the bad eye, here's other ways that that can be translated. Double-mindedness. Evil or greedy. So what Jesus is saying through this eye illustration is if you have the bad eye, if you store up your treasures here on earth, that's where your heart resides. You're headed towards death. You, you don't have a single focus. You're constantly looking for where you can place your security in this life. Because nothing, none of the treasures on earth are satisfying. You're constantly looking over your shoulders. You're constantly hedging. You're constantly trying to protect these very things that you've oriented your whole life towards. And you're greedy. Literally everything about you in this life is about you. I think Pastor Lyle, whenever you're relating this towards finances, has a really helpful paradigm that he's shared with us in our membership classes and sometimes in sermons here and I think it relates to treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. So the paradigm for treasures on earth is this, according to the way that we live with our finances. We first live according to our wants, our desires, and our needs. We spend our money on those things. Then we may put some aside for 
hard times, disasters, troubles that come up in our lives, so savings accounts, things like that, setting money aside for things like retirement as we grow old. And then what we have left, we're generous with. And maybe, according to what I think this, this whole illustration that I is kind of getting towards, is the only reason that we even may actually be generous is because we want the status of being a nice, loving person amongst other people that walk the face of the earth. That's the orientation of a person's heart that resides with the treasures on earth. But not so with the person that his heart resides with the treasures in heaven. The orientation is that you give, and that you save, and that you live. So, hear me. Like, it's possible to live by the second paradigm and still be stingy. All right? So you can give marginally up front what you're bringing in weekly or biweekly and still have a majority for, of your finances saved for the latter two, right? But what we're getting at here is you have to view this through the lens of generosity. Literally, your whole life is oriented now towards generosity. And it changes the whole paradigm of the way that you view your finances, the way that you purchase things. So think about this. Like, for a person that their life is oriented towards generosity, when you're shopping for a house, you are willing to sacrifice sacrifice square footage in order to have margin in your life to share with others. When you're shopping for a car, you're willing to give up make and model in order to have margin in your life, in order that you have excess in order to share with others. When you're saving for your retirement, the size of your 401k may be smaller because you live with a margin in order to have extra in order to share with others. Literally, your whole life is oriented now towards thinking about generosity, living with an open-handedness instead of a clenched fist. So I have, like I said, I have three boys, six and under in our home. We are working on this open-handedness, as many of you probably are, right? So when it comes to toys, when it comes to time with mom and dad, time with friends, whatever it might be, there's often this clenched fist. Not just clenched fists, but even mine, right? Jesus is saying that's not how life in my kingdom works. It's open-handedness. There's margin. I've literally oriented even my finances to where my money serves me. I don't serve my money. Your life is marked by generosity. And the reason that he does this is because you literally can't dabble in both. It's impossible. You can't have your cake and eat it too. They don't work. You see this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, money is a good servant, but it's a bad master. It barks orders, but it never fully satisfies. But that is not who our God is. Our God is the ultimate measure of generosity. We believe in one God in three persons. And we see the ultimate expression of generosity through the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Gordon MacDonald says this of our God. God the Father is the first generous giver. God the Son is the chief of generous givers. And the God, God the Holy Spirit is the ongoing expression of God's generosity in us. 
So let's break that down a little bit, okay? God the Father is literally the instigator of generosity. John 3.16 says this, For God loved this world in this way. He gave His one and only Son. Not only was He generous, He gave up His most prized possession. So God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through Him. God is literally taking the first step in generosity towards us. And it's not just a small step. He gives up His most prized possession. Then you have God the Son. He's the ultimate generous giver. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, He literally has everything at His disposal. For your sake He became poor. Literally left His rightful position. Put on human flesh. Died the most gruesome, humiliating death that we could ever experience. Death on the cross. And why did He do that? So that by His poverty, you might become rich. Literally give up everything. And God the Spirit is the ongoing expression of generosity inside of us. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says this, In Christ you are also sealed, permanent, safe place, secure, can never be snatched out of His hand. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. It's guaranteed. It's a promise. It can never be taken from you. It's a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. It's going to happen, is what Jesus is saying here. To the praise of His glory. Listen, with God as our master, our lives are oriented towards others with generosity and open-handedness because, our orient, because God oriented Himself towards us with immeasurable generosity. There's literally nothing that we can do in order to pay him back. But he gave it freely at the expense of Christ Jesus. Money is a terrible master. Our God is a great master. And he is worth serving and orienting our life towards. So, like, imagine being Jesus' disciples on the mount and they're hearing this. Literally a massive shift in the way that they would live, right? If we're hearing this now, I think we're honest and we're not living in this way and we're considering living in this way. There might be some anxiousness. There might be some fear that's welling up in our chest right now. But what I want us to see is that Jesus anticipates this fear and he speaks into it throughout the remainder of this passage. So before we even read it, recognize this, that Jesus doubles his words. And his expression of how we relate to money, he gives us five verses. And how he addresses our fear and our anxiety of living generously towards others and wondering how we are going to be provided for, he gives us double that amount. Jesus is extremely patient with us, and Jesus is extremely generous with us in our reorientation to the way that he's called us to live. Verse 25 to 34 says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? 
Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For Gentiles eagerly seek these things. Literally, the godless people seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Look, I just want us to notice a few things here. We don't have time to really dive in deep here. I know you want to get out to lunch. (laughs) But there's three things. He says the same statement three times here. Do not worry. And it's all geared towards our basic needs. Food and drink and clothes. And I want you to pay attention to his reasoning behind why we shouldn't worry about God's provision for his people. Verse 26. Aren't you worth more than they? Consider Jesus' examples here. The birds of the sky, the lilies of the field, the grass of the pasture. He's working literally from least to greatest. Aren't you worth more than they? You're the pinnacle of God's creation. Humanity is what He ultimately created this world for. You're the prize of His eye. If He cares for the birds of the sky, if He clothes the lilies of the field, if He cares for the grass of the pasture, how much more is He going to care for you? Don't worry. Your God will provide for you. If you orient yourself towards generosity and life in His kingdom, He's going to provide for you. Verse 32, your heavenly Father knows what you need. Matthew 7.11 says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Jesus is literally saying, you can look worry in the eyes and you say, do you know who my dad is? He knew me before the foundation, the creation of this world. He knit me in my mother's womb. He saved me from the utter destruction of my own sin. If he cares for the birds of the sky, if he cares for the lilies of the field, he will provide for me. And then third, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Look, if God is your master, he's liberated you from the worries and the anxieties of money. You can seek first his kingdom. Because you can have this confident trust that he's going to provide for you and everything that you need. He's going to supply it for you. You don't have to worry. The nights that you spend on the couch worrying about the finances for the next day, those medical bills, the credit card bills, all of these things, the Lord is going to provide for you. He will supply. So seek first his kingdom. 
Live like this. Be generous. So here's, here's our application. Just two things and then we'll close, okay? Really short. First application for all of us. Choose the better master. Look, money is round and it's going to roll away, but our God is everlasting. Choose the better master. Orient your life towards him. Second, give cheerfully. Cheerfully, like enjoy it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says this, The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Enjoy giving your stuff away. It's exactly how God lived towards you. So as I was studying this week, what I constantly read was you need to prioritize what are your wants and your needs and then think about how you sacrifice. But I think that's a really bad place to start. Start with God. Literally go take your wants and your needs before Him and pray and ask. And then seek wisdom and then sacrifice accordingly. Don't start with yourself, making a list of wants and needs. Start with your God and then work from there. So if, if you're like me, like maybe this is, this is the thought that was going on in my head all week. So maybe you're like me, okay? So I want this life. I do. I, I want this life. But maybe when I make more. Amen? Anybody else greedy like me? Just me? Just me. Somebody said just me. That's awesome. So there's a story that popped up in my head, um, a story that I heard from one of our missions pastors when I lived back in Oklahoma. And um, we had a missions ministry that had a partnership with some missionaries in Matamoros, Mexico. And so there was a dump in Matamoros where there was a colony. People literally went in, built shacks, and lived in the dump. And the missions pastor built a relationship with one of the men there, literally gave his life to Christ stayed there. There was a good work that was happening at this dump, and he noticed on one trip that there was a man, this man, his shoes had holes all over them, literally were falling apart, and so he took that note, went back to Oklahoma, bought some shoes, and brought them back to Matamoros the next time that he came, and so the missions pastor is Mike. I don't remember the other guy's name, so I'm just going to call him man. Hopefully that's not offensive to anybody. But, so Mike said, I noticed the hole in your shoes the last time I was here. I brought a new pair just for you. And so the man looked Mike into the eyes, in, in his eyes, and he said, what size are they? And Mike's like, why are you asking me the size? Like, I know who you are. I checked this out before I left. Like, dude, just, they're just your size. I, I bought them with you particularly in mind. And so the, the man looked Mike back in the eyes and said, great, I was just checking because I know just the person who could use them. Listen, I don't claim to be like a super smart guy or a wise person. But I have recognized this. What you're generous with in the little that you have, you're going to be generous with in the much that you have. Don't make excuses. Start now. Live open-handedly. Be generous. Because your God has oriented his life to where he is extremely abundantly generous towards you. 
Choose the better master. Give cheerfully. Remember who you serve. Let's pray. Father, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that as we think about the sacrifice that you made for us on that cross, Jesus, that you being rich literally became poor in order that we might become rich. May we remember exactly what you paid for us on that cross. A price that we couldn't pay on our own. We needed a Savior who would stand in our place. And he became the chief, generous giver. Father, may we have a deep love for Jesus. Give us a deep love to where we orient our life according to the treasures in heaven. May we not seek the kingdom of this earth. May we seek your kingdom. We recognize that we in ourselves are incompatible, incompatible, incapable of doing that on our own. Through the generosity, the continued generosity of your Holy Spirit inside of us, change us, God. As we were about to see two students baptized, Lord, I pray that you would give them a generous disposition, just as you have been generous towards them. As we hear their testimony read this morning, we pray that you would do a good work in our own hearts, that we would recognize that you are a God that is still alive, that is still at work today, and you are saving more and more, adding to the number of those that are going to be spending eternity with you. May we leave this place thinking how good and gracious and generous our God is, and may we live accordingly. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. If this is your first time here, like if you are a Christian, we would like to welcome you to come and take this meal. And as you do it, you'll take the, a, a rip out of the bread and you'll dip it into the cup of wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is marked by twine. And as you do that, remember the blood and the, bread and the body that was broken for you in order for you to have right relationship with God. The overflow of His generosity towards you. If you've yet to receive Christ, though, don't come take this meal, but take Jesus. Choose the better master this morning. There will be someone in the back that would love to share with you how you can make that step, and then you can come and take this meal next time. But come and take whenever you're ready to receive.